Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host Conor O'Neill and I'd like to be joined by the Echoes Everton correspondent Joe Thomas and Gareth Butlins as we look back on a dramatic weekend for the Blues in their battle to avoid Premier League relegation. We had the good, the bad and the ugly Goodison Park on Sunday afternoon as the Blues fell to a bitterly disappointing 3-2 defeat to Brentford and one that leaves their Premier League status hanging by possibly a bit of a thread heading into Thursday's game with Crystal Palace and the final game final match day of the season on Sunday. But lads, to start with, we'll look back on scenes outside Goodison Park ahead of the game and ahead of kick-off. Because, Joe, you, yourself and you were on Goodison Road before the game and they were pretty incredibly insane scenes again, wasn't it? Everton made their journey and then arrived at Goodison for, for the game. Yeah, absolutely superb scenes again. You know, the atmosphere was incredible. It was slightly different to the Chelsea game, because obviously there was, there was football going on elsewhere. So, I mean, you know, for the limited amount of time that you were outside Goodison Park and you could actually get phone reception, getting getting the score lines, getting the scores through as they come when Danny Welbeck scored against Leeds in particular. That was, a, you know, a notable ripple went through that kind of charged everybody up even further. But... It was it was spectacular again. You know, we we spoke at length about how good the fans have been in recent weeks, and they turned up again yesterday. And I'm I've no doubt that they'll do the same again on on Thursday. It's just a shame that uh, that it's necessary for them to do it again. I think because you know I think we all hoped and probably a good chunk of us thought that you know it might have all been over. Uh, by by half past six yesterday, and that Crystal Palace could be a, a you know a, a deep breath, one last Goodison Park hurrah, but with no pressure on before before the end of the season, and instead all of a sudden, just like so many of the recent games, it becomes another cup final, you know, another biggest game in Everton's modern history. So you know, absolutely superb work for them from the fans, and well, let's get ready to do it all again, I suppose. In terms of the fans and before the game and the atmosphere that they created, it was a real kind of carnival-style atmosphere, wasn't it? I've not seen Goodison rocking before a game quite like that, quite like that for a long time. No, no, it was... I mean, the the scenes outside continued inside the ground, just like they did with Chelsea, and, yeah, that was it was phenomenal. The atmosphere as the players came out was, was incredible. And, you know, one of the fears is that when you, you have the intensity of the emotion that was on display just before kickoff, that the the players aren't able to carry that through on the pitch. And, and yesterday, in, in fairness, they did. You know, they, they started ever so brightly. You know, Gordon had his chance saved. Richardson put the rebound wide. Richardson had the, the volley that just kind of trickled wide. And then so we had the goal as well. You know, it really did feel like everything was coming into sync in that first 15 minutes and the incredible atmosphere, the players responding to it and obviously taking the lead and looking like the, they could they were going to be the more threatening one and it almost almost kind of got 
tricked into believing it might be a, a comfortable afternoon for, for, the, for the Blues, but obviously it all very quickly went wrong. Gavin, Joel just touched on it there in terms of the game itself, and, and he said it looked like it was going to be a comfortable afternoon. And after 15 minutes, you can't get that feeling that was going to be a comfortable afternoon for because they're absolutely all over Brentford and, and it starts on the front foot and, and it looked like they went business. Yeah, absolutely. Fed off the off the crowd, and you're thinking, you have, you're thinking the certain narratives at the start of a game, aren't you? Really, and you're thinking, oh, reasonably nice day, nice comfortable win here. See, see us our uh, delegation slot or as Freudian slip. See, see us our future in the Premier League, and we can all relax down for the end of the end of the end of the season. Uh, I think you said. Good, bad, and the ugly, Connor. It was sorted in that order yesterday, wasn't it? Really, that was the uh, that was the good bit, and it all sort of the whole. You know, I, I, was, I was just thinking about that Leeds goal right at the end of their game. Sort of once that happens, you think, Ugh. you know, is there a different narrative going on here? And it, it all turned on the the Richarlison incident and the the Brantwaite sending off, didn't it? You know, the the game was a game. It was a game of two games, wasn't it? Before the sending off and after the sending off, they were two completely different matches. Yeah, and Joe, in terms of the big moment, then obviously Everton leading one 0 thanks to Dominic Calvert Lewin's goal, which you would quick to point out that was his goal after we all hope Charleston a five Everton ahead. But it all comes back to that one moment, doesn't it? Where Charleston has a shape pulled in the box, and referee McCulver gives nothing. Brentford quickly break up the pitch and. Next thing you know, Jared Brownfield's been given his marching orders and, and Everton are down to 10 men. It, it, it's hard as it is to single out any one moment and say that changed the course of the game, but it really did, didn't it, for Everton on, on Sunday afternoon? Yeah, in this case, I think it's quite easy to pick out what moment changed the game. I think it's clear, I don't think anyone will have any complaints about the red card for Brantford once the decision's made that it's not a penalty on Richarlison. You know, unfortunately, you know, Tony reads the situation better than Brantwaite gets himself into a situation where he's, he's in on goal and, and, and we all know what happens there. And I don't think anyone can have any complaints about that that element of the decision. Obviously, the, the question is whether or not play should have been brought back for for the shirt pull on, on Richarlison. And, and as everybody will have, have seen, you know, it's, it's very clear that there is a significant shirt pull on Richarlison. I, it felt obvious at the time watching it inside the stadium. It, it looks obvious on on the TV replays as well. I've heard a few people suggest it was a six of one, half a dozen of the oven that Richarlison had um, hold of, of Ayers shirt. I've not seen a, an angle which suggests that or suggests that it's anywhere approaching a fifty-fifty. But I, you know, maybe maybe I've not seen the right one. You know, to me. You know, I, I just feel slightly confused as to why that wasn't a penalty and why VAR didn't think that it at least warranted another check because, you know, you hear some people say, well, did he pull the shirt enough to prevent Richarlison from being able to get to the ball or get control of the ball? I mean, I was maybe I'm labouring under a, a misapprehension here, but I didn't think it was ever particularly legal to pull a shirt. Um, so and I, I do genuinely believe that if, if that was anywhere else on the pitch, I think a foul would have been given. And you know, don't get me wrong, that yeah, there there are two phases to to the game changing moment. One is obviously the not giving the penalty, and then the second one is the unfortunate but utter failure to deal with a ball over the top, which has 
and on Everton so many times this season. And, you know, regardless as to whether or not it should or should not have been a penalty on Richarlison, you know, Branthwaite, Coleman, Holgate, they've, they've got to deal with that ball over the top better. They can't stop playing or, you know, assume that a whistle's going to go in their favour. Uh, but unfortunately, they, they read that situation completely wrong and we ended up in a, in a, in a, in a mess. But yeah, I'm still surprised that you know, Michael Oliver didn't go back and, and, and give a penalty. Uh, it, it was a clear shirt pull. Gavin, on a decision then before we you know we, we look at the, the actual sending off, but the decision itself, you know, we understand that the, the Premier League wouldn't have overruled Michael Oliver had he given the penalty, but they are didn't deem it where he's having up a lot. It's again this is just another example, isn't it, of, of things going not just going against Everton, but the flaws. In the laws of the game right now and how they're interpreted and, and while we change yeah. the next yeah the application of it and when it's applied and stuff my understanding is is uh dale johnson of vspn who's the sort of var guru on social media he said a while back that var won't overturn uh, a share pull in the area unless it's stopping the goal being scored so we actually benefited from that with Calvert-Lewin at Leeds early in the season, if you recall. And I think there's only been a handful of share pulls in the area where it's the referee's not awarded the penalty, but VAR is overturned for, for that reason. And I think that was the reason why it wasn't overturned yesterday, because it wasn't denying a goal-scoring opportunity. So that, that was that was why it wasn't overturned. Whether it should have been a foul in the first place is, yeah, I mean... Is he impeding opponents? I'd say, yeah. I mean, because there's nothing in the law. When I was looking at the laws of the game this morning, is and it's people. There's a misapprehension, isn't there? That a share pull in the area is a is a is a foul, but it isn't. There's nothing in the rules of the game that says if you pull a shirt in the area, that means there's a penalty. You, you apply the laws of the game. Is are you obstructing an opponent? Are you you know grabbing hold of them? And to me, yesterday, well, he obviously was, wasn't he? You know that that's quite obvious. Um, I, I'm, I'm only thinking that I was watching Dermot Gallagher this morning who appears to have like a, a random use of words that he'll just put in any order for the sake of it on Netflix. And he, he was saying that he, he thought that the, the way this is that Oliver thought there was two two players grappling with one another and that's why he didn't award it. Which, I don't know, that sounds a bit bit of a get-out for me. Um, but if that's the case, that's why he hasn't given it, is it really? It's, it's, Joe Joe's right. If that that's outside the area, that's a, that's a, uh, just a foul, isn't it? And it made matters worse that they, they went up the other end, obviously. But that, that that's my understanding about the VAR situation. Connor is that it won't overturn unless it stops unless it's stopping a goal scoring opportunity. Joe, they, they say decisions even themselves out over the season, and, and and teams get good and bad, and and, and on the end of, of, of both types of calls, but. You know, Everton seemingly have had a lot of decisions go against them this season, haven't they? And there's, there's, there's still no showing any sign of getting better with the green eye when, when they need it most. No, I mean, there's also a failure to take advantage when situations do fall in Everton's favour. The most obvious example being the, the defeat at Burnley, where out of the blue, Everton get two penalties, score on both, but still conspire to, to lose a six-pointer. Um, but yeah, I mean, this season's been cruel on so many levels you know we've again we've spoken about these in the past but the injury situation has been you know a nightmare um even things like the way the the fixtures have fallen because of covid 
um, you know, creating this situation when we have so many games with such a depleted squad that's such a crucial part of the season it is frustrating. But some of the decisions have been crazy. The you know, the Rotherham handball is one that we will always go back to. Obviously, you know, the club got an apology off the back of that. You know, there are several others in relate where it's perhaps more of a grey area. Anthony Gordon at Anfield, Alan sending off against Newcastle. But it really does feel just as though Everton are being hard done by on these decisions. And I think that, you know, there, there are several levels to the frustration. One is the inconsistency where you're seeing fouls punished or going unpunished uh, in, in Everton games, but then seeing the same things being pulled up in, in, in other games. Um, but also, I, I just think one of the things that's, that's really kind of baffling me at the moment is just with all the developments of the modern game in recent years, the introduction of, of technology, what one thing that we haven't had is throughout all this process, is, is any real transparency or accountability from the, the match day officials. You know, it may well be that there are perfectly legitimate reasons why you know, the penalty wasn't given for Richarlison yesterday. It may well be that there's, you know, a legitimate reason why Mads Beck Sorensen didn't get a second yellow card for the, the foul for the penalty that was given, which again, to me, very clearly looked like it should have been a yellow card and he should have been off and Everton should have been 2-1 up and 10 men versus 10 men when we come out in the second half. Um, you know, when you look at the way that technology is used and third, you know, might be third umpires or video assistant referees in, in rugby or cricket, what's come along with them is, you know, the crowds, the, the managers, the, you know, those who have a stake in what's going on can get to listen to the conversations between the officials and so you, you at least get an understanding as to what's going through their minds, what the, the logic is. You might disagree with it. Might, you know, it, it might not, um, you know, it's, it's, we still might end up with, with, with bad decisions being made, but it'd be made so much easier for, for everyone, I think, if we could actually understand how these laws were being applied, what the logic was behind them. And then not only would it help us all understand the game a little bit better and remove some of the confusion from the pain and frustration, but also, I mean, that degree of transparency and, and, and openness would then at least encourage consistency because if we have an on-the-record explanation as to why a shirt pull isn't given as a penalty one week, well, we can then, we've then got a bar to set the standard against for other shirt pulls going forward, haven't we? And you know, then we'll truly be able to see how inconsistent, how many grey areas exist. It just seems that you know, all these issues that have been designed to make the game clearer have just made it murkier and you know amid that we have a situation where it feels like every time there's an opportunity to give a decision against Everton every time there's a big 50-50 it just keeps going not, not only is it going against the Blues but no one could quite understand why you know, but, you know Gav's alluded to the possible explanations over the penalty there um, not giving the penalty for a child in there but you know the reality is we're all here you know we're, we're guessing I mean, surely everybody would be better off if Michael Oliver at least came out and just said, this is why it wasn't given, and we can all move on and go forward, and then at least we'll know for next time. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is something that is not so much based on the, the game yesterday, but it, more in general what we've seen so far this season. During the times come where match officials should come out after the game and explain decisions, or the Premier League should release some sort of, you know, media where match officials explain the thinking behind decisions and give everyone a bit more of a clear indication as why a call was made. Because like we've alluded to already, the way things are being interpreted on a weekly basis is changing, and it's leaving more and more fans frustrated at what they're witnessing. Hey, one way to answer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, it, it's you know, this is what this is why like conspiracy theories are allowed to grow, aren't they? And all that type of stuff in a multi billion pound game where you've got people paying big money to watch football. I think they are owed, they are owed a lot more in terms of expl- explanations. Slightly different with football, say to cricket. Cricket's a far more black and white sport, isn't it? You either edged the ball or you didn't, or you either caught mm. it or didn't. So much in football is subjective. You know what's a what's a bad challenge? What's you know all that type of stuff? You know what's deliberate handball? You know all that type of thing where it, it's not so clear cut. So uh, you, you're never going to get total consistency, but. Uh, We've spoke at length before on this, Connor. I mean, so many times is is I think should have explanation. I think the the communications inside the grounds woeful when it's happening. Um, you don't know what's being said. You know, you don't know when something's being said and what the decision was. And I think we had one against was it um, in the FA Cup where we scored? Was it the Charleston scored? Against Boreham Wood, and then it was just disallowed. And <laughs> absolutely nobody, there's not, nothing to say that there's a VAR if you were just like disallowed, you know. So, yeah, there's a lot more can be done. Um, the problem that I think we have with football is just so much of it is subjective. And I do, I do, it, it is like common, you like that thing about you, you need common sense, then don't you know, sometimes in football. And I, I can see why they don't want stuff broadcast and I can see why they don't want to give explanations because I tell you what, if you did that, you'd have a whole host of inconsistencies through the season to, to cite, you know, because it's so subjective and so fast moving. But VAR, rather than resolving problems, just created a whole host of new issues. And and I think that, I think that this, I think the worrying thing for me is, is it actually, there's increase as it's gone on. There's more increasingly power going to VAR rather than the referee. Where actually VAR appears now to be referee and matches, not the referee. And and I'm saying some decisions are not given on 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 the field by the referee because they're just waiting for VAR. They're abrogating responsibility. They're just waiting for, for VAR just to you know, have a word in their ear. Well, that's almost part of the problem, is because obviously, I yeah. mean, uh, in in relation to cricket, obviously, most things are you know clear cut. You know, has he edged it or not? But obviously, what what they also do have is that you know they have an umpire's call where essentially, you know, normally in relation to to LBW, where if the technology is inconclusive, then they go with the on field decision. Uh, yeah. They essentially give the the on field um, umpire the, the the benefit of the doubt. And it's it's clear that. 
it's clear that there is a degree of that in what's going on in the Premier League at the moment because you know they are apparently like you know like we've already said had Michael Oliver given a penalty yesterday then VAR wouldn't have overturned it. He didn't give a penalty, but it also didn't overturn it. You know, so so clearly they it's almost essentially clearly what Michael Oliver's decision is on the pitch at that moment has a bearing on the decision making process. Yeah. Um but obviously it'd be handy, you know, but obviously there's also a danger or you know a feeling that some decisions aren't being made because they think VAR will sort the messiles out. But then Absolutely. if, if VAR is sorting it, sorting it, is there to sort out a mistake, but the referee's decided not to make the mis- you know, not to put himself in a position where he might have made a mistake in the first place, then you end up almost with a, a you know, a crazy situation where the, you know, the, the, the technology is, is backing up the original mistake that's being made because, you know, they're looking at it and they're thinking, well, we can't call that either way. So we'll go with the on-field decision because we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. And you yeah. just end up going around in circles where incorrect decisions are being compounded, but with no explanation and, and, and no understanding as to as to what the process is and yeah. why. I, totally agree. And I, I just think it's the whole system's, you know, I think it does work occasionally, but it's, it's not working effectively, is it? And I'm not saying that because we've been on the, the receiving end of a few iffy decisions, but, you know, I think most fans would say that. Uh, Absolutely. You know, you, you look at you look at the Ashley Barnes handball. Obviously, yeah. yesterday you know, that that helped us. But yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm, no one on the pitch appealed for that handball. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, and, yeah, and no, yeah, it's, it's, you know, you look at um, you look at I mean, situation with Liverpool and um, was it Villa last week where obviously Ollie Watkins is offside and has a shot and they score yeah. from the rebound and it's allowed. But had Watkins scored, it would be off, offside. It's just yeah. It's not. It's not good for anyone, and yeah, it feels it feels like Everton are being particularly hard done by at the minute. Whether they are or not, I don't know. But it'd be handy if we could at least understand why these decisions keep going against Everton, because you know it, it, it's it's clear that at the very, very, the very, very least, the fifty fifties aren't going Everton's way. At the very least, yeah. I'd, I'd say some of those decisions yesterday were sixty forties, seventy thirties, but yeah. You know, I think can I just one final word on that yesterday. I'm just wondering because it was Richarlison in the box whether Oliver just thought we've got a bit of previous stuff, fella, so I'm not going to give it. Again, surely the whole point of VAR is to remove yeah. that. It's it's again, it's surely it's to it's to prevent decisions being made in the cauldron and under the pressure of a raucous home crowd yeah. or decisions not being given because you know the the player who's gone down is a boy who cried wolf. Um, yeah, you know, like I think you, it, it's probably true that like there probably are referees that are looking at Richardson and thinking, you know, oh, I'm not going to give that decision because it's him again. But then that isn't really that isn't really shouldn't really matter. You know, VAR should check it regardless, and if they think it's a penalty, you should pull it up. I think though, going going back to the game and, and, and the send off of, of Jared Brankways, obviously it was a bit of a bold call by Frank Lampard to put him in the middle of the, the back three. You know, as the kind of the leader of the, the back three almost in, in the central. Do you think do you think that was a no CT's to say in hindsight, but do you think that was a gamble that, that didn't pay off given Jack Brownfield's an experience when what show once the ball goes over the top and the way it gets caught? Absolutely. When, when I saw when I saw the line up at the start of the game, um I thought you play with the back three, you put Brandfight there to play the left hand side of the back three. 
because he's left footed and he has played that. Did he play Chelsea left? I can't remember. Did yeah. Like a Chelsea plays really well. Um, so I was a bit hurt when I saw him like in the middle of the back three. As as that, that's the most important back three five. That is the that's the key role, isn't it? You know, you you bring the ball out of defence, and Brantway's probably pretty comfortable with that. Um, you set you set the tone for the, the rest of the defence in terms of organisation, and I, I I could see why Frank did it in terms of like probably wants to counter Tony's threats and the fact that Brantway's physically the most most imposing of the what, what defence we had on the pitch yesterday. But as you say, Connor, that that that's a key key role, and. Your main best centre half fills that, and it was a big ask for me. Bantway to what twenty twenty one? It's hardly played this season. So I mean, I don't know the games he played for us last two two seasons, not many. For them to fill that yesterday in the key game, that position I thought was a, a big big mistake. I can see why Frank's done it, but I just thought it was a big mistake. I mean, no, Holgate's probably less physically imposing than than Brandweight, but he's far more experienced. He's on a decent run of form. I'd have put Holgate there, and you've then got the benefit then of a left-footed. Yeah, we, we had this argument last time. It's not left-footed Brandweight. He's, he's right-footed, apparently. Um, he is comfortable using, using his Yeah, left. yeah, yeah. Somebody pulled this up, didn't he, on Twitter, when he was saying about uh, like he's, he's, he's technically right-footed, but he is very comfortable on his left foot. Um, and, and I've been playing wide left. And Frank didn't pick him in that position, and I, I thought, thought he showed that it was just an experience, wasn't it? That he getting caught out for the the Tony foul, and also as well, what I would say on that is, I think some defenders, are t- I mean, at that stage of the game, I think some defenders are told, whatever you do, don't foul, let let, let the player go through, because even if he scored, there's one all, but eighty minutes, seventy, eighty minutes left, mm. you know. That's a better position to be in with eleven men on the pitch than one one nil ahead with ten men on the on the pitch. And I think they say statistically, certain times in games, let the play go through. And I think somebody with a bit, bit more experience may have just not committed that foul, got himself tangled up yesterday. I think he, he panicked a little bit, didn't he? And um, that was a changed the entire game. As I say, you watched two different games yesterday, didn't you? Joe, what once you know Everton go down to ten men, they eventually you know they did concede an equaliser. You know, some might say it was fortunate, but the pressure had been coming from Brentford the build-up. But then to get themselves back in front just before half time to give themselves that boost, was you surprised at half time? I think Lampard didn't make a change and looked to maybe go a little bit more defensively solid. I know I suggested in the press box that maybe you might bring John Joe Kenny on and put him at right back and put a ball in front of him and. And try and short the back line. Others feel that Alan should have been given the nod to come on and, and just sit in the middle in front of the back four and, and try and cut up play. Was you surprised that Frank Lampard did not to change things up, give it a side with a bit of head and just had to see how to 45 minutes of football? Yeah, I think I think so. I think that for all his ability on the ball, um, and you know, for all of what we have seen in the positives of Andre Gomez particularly before his injury, it seemed as if he was struggling whilst Evan only had 10 men, you know, in the back end of the first half. Uh, and I probably would have brought Gomez off and then either done one or two things. I'd have either you know, kept things as they were and just 
brought Gomez off and put Alan on. So you've got a bit more bite in centre midfield, a bit more fight. Or I would have maybe brought Gomez off and brought Kenny on and put Kenny at right wing back and Iwobi in centre mid. You know, if 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 Lampard felt that it was important to have somebody that you know could use the ball in centre midfield, and that's why he kept Gomez on in the hope that he could do so, then you know, Awobi would have been a more mobile and physical presence that still would have been able to have done that in the middle of the pitch. So so I, I was, you know, I think when the goals came, they were inevitable. I mean, Everton had spent 15 minutes camped inside their own heart, well, inside their own box, really breaking out only for, well, two two moments and two moments, one of them, which could have been crucial. Obviously, they came so, so close to going 3-1 up when the ball flashed across the box and Dominic Calvert-Lewin almost scored. Uh, and then the second moment being memorable because of Richardson controlling it on his back, although he, he then just gave the ball away, I think, you know, and then, you know, seconds later, it's, 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 it's two, two. So I, I think it was a very difficult position for Lampard to be in. And maybe, you know, the fact that they survived those first 15 minutes of the second half and created a decent opportunity in that process, you know, gives an insight as to why he thought that it was okay to keep it as it was but I I, I would have taken Gomez off and pro- probably for me I probably would have put Alan on but but you're right a lot of the trouble that Everton faced came down Everton's own right so having you know doing doing something to either give Awobi more protection or to put Kenny on and give him additional protection would would, would would clearly have would clearly have helped, but then it was it's difficult as well because on 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 the other side, obviously they'd been under the cosh going into into half time, but had still managed to cause Brentford the odd problem with ten men, obviously winning the penalty in the first place. And uh, one thing I did think I think Thomas Frank's a very good manager. I thought he made some very astute decisions, not just tactically but also kind of emotionally. Yes, they bring in off um, Sorensen who obviously should have been sent off, in my view, before half-time. At half-time, was just a clever thing to do. And I think he did the same with another player who's, who had been booked every every time it looked like it might get feisty or, you know, the, a Brentford player might be able to, might be about to get himself into some trouble. Frank did something to either to remove him from the situation, either tactically or, or by bringing him off. And, you know, obviously it paid off for Frank. He's clearly a very astute, astute manager and got the better of us in the second half. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Gav, one area that Everton fans were quick to, to, to reflect on and kind of question yesterday was in the middle of the field, especially when I got my down to 10 men. But I think both Andre Gomez and Takori both struggled in the other piece of the game and, and were often exposed in the inner middle of the park. Do you think, again, that raises another, you know, question headed to some in the transfer market that Everton just needs simply better options in the middle of the pitch to to, to, to be able to counter that when they go down to 10 men or up against it because the both of them just looked well off the pitch yesterday and were, were around ragged at times. 
Yeah, well, if you've been watching Everton while Andre Gomez has been at the club, he doesn't work in the two, does he? For the start, you need three with Gomez. I know you've said Gordon sort of muddles around, but you need a three. I suspect he played Gomez yesterday because Gomez played really well against Brentford in the FA Cup, didn't he? If I remember. And I'm just wondering whether that informed um, informed Frank's decision. Having said that, it was a different Brentford that turned up yesterday compared to the, the passive one in the FA Cup. Yeah, it, well, it just didn't work. I mean, Decore was way off the pace. Gomez started off okay while we were playing well, but then sort of disappeared. And consequently, I mean, it was, I mean Christian Eriksen is such a lovely player, isn't he, to watch? And, you know, I, you just mentioned the type of play we need. That's the type of play we need, <laughs> you know, and uh, he won't be sure to offer us in the summer. And in most of the second half, even though we appear to have like eight or nine men behind the ball, he was receiving the ball in. 20 yards of space, there was absolutely nobody picking him up. And he just dictated the game. And and as you say, Frank, Thomas Frank produced a, a masterclass now to play against 10 men, didn't he, really, yesterday. And I think Alan should have come on. I'm here and I don't know whether it's true. You guys may know that actually I don't think Frank thinks he's fit um, 100%, but I would have put him on for a half just to try and nullify um Ericsson and the control he had in, in in the middle of the park. I think that was costly. I haven't brought Kenny on. I think if 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 you start in the second half, if you know you're going to be under the cosh and you've got a right back on the bench, you're playing with right back, don't you? Even yeah, though I know Kenny's appears to have fallen out of favour a little bit with Frank. He was played him for a bit and he hasn't played him for uh, but I think I would have taken possibly Gordon off and play Kenny right back and a ball be his sort of trying to get up and down. I thought that was uh, I thought those were two two mistakes Frank made, um, and by the time you made substitutions, it was too late. So I I, I agree that those are two changes, but the midfield, yeah, it obviously needs major surgery. But you know, worryingly for us, that's not the only area of the pitch that needs major surgery, is it? You know, so I mean, Decore and Allen are both well thirty or thirty one by the time next season starts, or. Next 12 months, which is not ideal, is it? Joe, Everton also had another player sent off yesterday afternoon just to, to compel matters even worse after after being given the nod to come on and try and rescue his side, something in the game and, and, and go up and go up top and be a nuisance. Someone on was given his marching orders for, should we say, a rash and, and late tackle in, in the closing stages. There was no complaints from, from anyone. I don't think inside Goodison runs on himself, you know, accepted it and, and, and was quickly off the Goodison pitch. But you know, now these less attacking options going into Thursday and Sunday. And although Rondon's had his critics certainly this season and people have been quick to point the blame, it does leave Frank Lampard lacking in, in, in attacking options, doesn't it? Looking ahead to Thursday and Sunday, if he does need to get a goal later on in either of them games. Well, the immediate reaction when you first think of Rondon sending off is almost a kind of just smirk, isn't it? Because it was just such a blatant red card that, you know, the there's no, you know, I mean, it was just a reckless lunge, wasn't it? And I think you know, Thomas Frank at the end of the game said he didn't think there was any malice in the tackle. He thought that Rondon might have just slipped and I'm not sure if he did slip or not, but what it, I mean, it was, there, you could see, even though it was the other side of the pitch from where I was, it was obviously a red card and I don't think anyone can have any complaints about that. But it's, it's, it's kind of, it's almost, whilst it's almost comical in, in how bad it, it was, for a player that had only been on the pitch for four minutes, you know the reality is it's it's 
actually incredibly serious. You know, Everton have got two games to save their Premier League status, and they are a side that has been obliterated all season by injuries, and where injuries are again having an impact as we come to this crucial stage of the season. And now we have to deal with suspensions as well, and you know, Brant Waite being out for the Crystal Palace game may well matter if if Michael Keane can't regain fitness, and Rondon being out for both games may well matter because you know, however much we might like or not like having to rely on him, he, he is an effective Plan B. You know, there, there is a time when his style of play does suit us you know whether it's you know, in the last few games he has been a useful person to bring on whenever they're in the lead with a few minutes to go just his you know his physical presence just does help help us hold on to the ball and the you know down by the corner flag and you know and, and again against Leicester in the home game when we were chasing you know his you know he was a nuisance and he played a big part in in Everton eventually being able to to find an equaliser so you know, when, when Frank Lampard has so few options, losing another one, however good or bad we may all think he is in the grand scheme of things, you know, it's 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 another senior player that is now missing at a time when Everton desperately need all the resources that they can muster. Gav, Frank, Frank Lampard was very quick post-match to, to, to quash any talk of that Everton got a discipline problem given... Five red cards now since he's been in charge that, that his side has received, and but he was also not willing to talk about decisions as much because he's already faced an FA charge this week for his, his comment post Liverpool. But do you think it is concerning the amount of, the amount of red cards Everton have picked up since Frank Lampard being, you know, in charge? You be talk about being, you know, given 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 it all and, and full throttle. But do you think Everton are crossing the line a little bit too much, and, it, and it's obviously playing a massive part in the battle to survive? Um... I'm more concerned about the, the punishment rather than the red card defences, to be fair. I think Brantwaite's is only a game. He's not today. He'll yeah. only be one game. Mm. So he, he's available for, for Sunday. Um it's it's the it's the punish it's the being out in a stretch squad with injuries and stuff like that and the lack of options in some areas, not being missing for the game is you know a big thing, isn't it, really? And um I think the, the number of offences probably reflects our anxiety, probably as a, as a squad. But it's it's the it's the punishment, isn't it? I mean, Rondon has been he's not been winning us games, but he's not been going out to win us a match. He's going out out to protect our league, which he has done successfully on two or three occasions. And I could imagine on Thursday if we're winning one nil with ten minutes left, and you haven't got him in the option to come off the bench. You know, I'd be going mad if I was flank with him yesterday. That was just a, it was, it was just a stupid, pointless challenge that, as you say, removes a key what has been a key weapon in our sort of decent good good run. You know, somebody in the pub last night was just going. He was on for four minutes, four minutes, and carries on in the run for about half an hour. You know, <laughs> it just felt. And that summed it up perfectly. And, um, yeah, I, I'm not concerned that it, at the moment it just reflects the anxiety of the position we, we're in, and I don't think it's a discipline issue. It's the 
it's the da- damaging thing is 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 the players that were absent as a consequence of their last behaviour. Allen's another one in it. Missed Allen for what three three games. That's it. I think it's 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 yeah. one of those, isn't it? Where it's it, I don't think it's a lack of discipline. It's a lack of composure at yeah. key moments, isn't it? You know the the Michael Keane two yellows was just brainless. The John Joe Kenny two yellows were were, were brainless. The well. Rondon's yesterday was was was, was stupid, and then yeah. Brant Waits came from you know Everton failing to deal with the ball over the top, which left him in a situation where he was chasing Tony, um, and then you know Alan again a VAR decision, which at the very least is a 50-50 that hasn't gone Everton's way because I, I don't really think that that was a sending off either. Um, but the reason he's making that tackle is because Everton, uh, you know, Newcastle, it's nil-nil in a game that Newcastle can't, it's, it's nil-nil against Newcastle in a game that Everton can't afford to lose. And at that point in the in the game, Newcastle are breaking forward on a threatening move. So he feels like he's got to go in for the tackle, you know, so many times this season, whether it been through through red cards or, or own goals or just poor, poor mistakes. Everton have been their own worst enemy. And, you know, that's, still continuing right now. I think Lampard has managed to kind of fix some of those problems. And I think the return of Delph and the return of Mina has, has been crucial, you know, to kind of shoring up the defence and shoring up the midfield and bringing a little bit of composure into into the first 11, into the middle of that pitch. But obviously neither of those were there yesterday and, you know, chaos followed. So, Gav, as things stand... Everton, two games to go, two points above the drop zone. Crystal Palace, Arsenal, Leeds got Brentford. Burnley, who currently occupy the final relegation place, are away Aston Villa and home to Newcastle. Everton know what they need to do. But are you confident that the Blues will get the job done on Thursday? No. Absolutely not. Play, playing playing a team, that's beaten us, what? 3-1-4-0. Cruising. I'll be down there in Sellers Park. It's quite a difficult place to play, I suppose. Unless you're one of the really top teams, for City only drew there, didn't he? Um, so it would be a different vibe. Um, but as lots of people have pointed out, Palace have got a lot of players who have and potentially cause us a lot of problems in terms of stressing the defence. Um, three or four pacey similar players up front and Conor Gallagher pulling the strings just behind them. And, and I think they'll be... Really tough opponents are for us on Thursday. We've just spoken about anxiety and you know the the the, the nerves and the stress that come with the relegation fighting. Two games from the end of the season and been not guaranteed safety. Yet. I think the the players would be really feeling the pressure on on Thursday, especially having thrown away one point from two games. You know when you're probably hoping for probably four and. So we, we've lost maybe three points in the last week, and um, I'm not confident at all we can do it on Thursday. Uh, the, the only sort of consolation I got from yesterday was that actually Brentford looked half decent. Say Frank's a, Frank's a good manager, and you would you would hope that they can do a job over Leeds on on Sunday, but you don't know, do you really? Uh, well, I'm not confident. If you sat here now. I'm not, I'm not confident at all about getting a win on Thursday, and I think um, I think that's a that's a bit concerning for me and and about everybody. 
the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Joe, plans are already in place for supporters to welcome the, the bus again and, and do their part and get behind the team. But Everton's players need to react on team for a real, real top performance in and, and get themselves over the line and, and give the fans not so, so something to cheer, but that kind of relief, be able to relieve, relieve the release and you know, kind of the tension to, to go and, and be able to sleep happy on Thursday night knowing that Everton will be playing Premier League football next season. Absolutely. You know, the, the fans don't deserve to be in this situation. And we can, you know, probably speak for hours and hours as to the reasons as to why Everton are in the situation that they currently are because, you know, those they, they are numerous and those reasons relate to matters both on and off the pitch. But the reality is right at this very moment in time that the focus has solely got to be on staying up. It's solely got to be on Thursday night. The supporters will do everything that they can to, to pull the players over the line. You know, the supporters have been excellent over the last few weeks. Uh, and I'm sure, I have absolutely no doubt, will be excellent on Thursday and will be excellent again on Sunday if they are needed. Um, but we could really do without having to go to go to the Emirates and, and pick up a result. I think kind of echoing some of what Gav says there. Uh, yeah, the reality of the situation is Leeds need to beat Brentford to have a chance of finishing above Everton. Um as it stands, I I I think Everton will stay up. I think I think it'll be okay, but I'm getting more more confidence from my belief that Brentford might be able to not lose to Leeds than I am from from Everton being able to beat Crystal Palace and you know seal the deal on on Thursday. I hope it's I hope I hope that's the case, but you know there's going to be some interesting decisions to be made on on Thursday. Crystal Palace are a dangerous side and, you know, Lampard's got the difficult decision as, in, in, in like in some respects, obviously it, it, this depends on on the Burnley score against Villa, which will, will be going on at the same time. So we, we can't really take this into, in, 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 into, into account. But point doesn't, almost doesn't help Evan. You know, a point's almost, we may as well win it as lose it to some degree. Um, that, that changes if if Burnley go and get hammered by Villa, uh, and their goal difference becomes worse, and a point would you know give us a comparable goal difference and put us three points clear of them with with one game each to go. But you know what what do you do if you find Lampard? Do you, do you go say we need to win this? Let's go for it. But then you've got a patched up back four or back five, which has struggled to deal with. Yeah, which if, if they're going to go for it, we'll be playing further up the pitch. Yet is time after time again has proved itself incapable of dealing with long balls over the top to pacey attacking players, which Palace have in, in abundance. Um, or do you invite Crystal Palace onto you and hope that in the same way that Everton were able to do against Leicester and against Man United to some extent and against Chelsea, you know, hope that you can stay on top of things and then you know sting them on one of your breakaways it's a 
it's a difficult call to make that is uh, i'd be interested to see as to both of your thoughts as to how you'd approach it um the fact that i'm uh, struggling here joe indicates that that's probably quite a decent question in the great scheme of things um i'd go for the sides you know what as you say a point's not really sitting in and open for a point is not really a great tactic because it could backfire completely with events elsewhere, couldn't it, really? Um, I, I, I think it's hard to play like we did against Leicester. I think that would, I think that would be okay. But, but what options have we got? I mean, and just ones in this room, you know, they've been saying Mina maybe fifth or last game of the season. Just say to Mina, it's pretty pointless. You play in the last game of the season, just get on the pitch on Thursday and we'll see, see where it takes us, you know? And just yeah, I, I think I think some. I presume Delft's hopefully fit. I had something like we did against Leicester. I'd say it wouldn't be leaving a load of space. And and the problem with Palace, if you play two wing backs, as we all know, that's the real area. If you play three at the back with two wing backs, that's space either side of the centre half, which they capitalised on down there. But at least they just stayed stayed wide for the entire game and loads of space you can be really hurt there so even if you play like three at the back with two wing backs you can you can struggle against palace so it's no ideal solution and i'm just wondering whether you've even got three players to play at the back if everybody's you know if you've got a few injuries so could be could be interesting make three in the midfield four three three maybe but i don't think there's a there's a one size fits all solution this isn't it? about our formation on on Thursday. What would you do, Connor? I think one thing we can guarantee is that there'll be nerves and tension. Oh, God, yeah. And, and, and probably nail-biting. But I, I do think he'll just stick to the tried and test the voice so far. I don't think he'll look to gamble. I think there's just too much riding on it now. But I do, do honestly think we are paying the price for not going a little bit more for the juggler at Watford last week. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because that was a game where he should have changed up and gone for the juggler, and, and, and you know you saw yesterday. I mean, I only saw much today, but you saw yesterday how they collapsed against Leicester once they conceded. You know that they're not they're not very good. Hardy Watford, you know, they, a lot of the places when they're on the beach for the holidays already. The manager's already left. The new manager coming in. I just feel like that that was the game where they should have. He could have took the shackles off him and really gone for it, but he, he played for a point, and only got a point, but. You know, like a few results we had this season, that could be one way you look back on, couldn't it? And think maybe, you know, that was a massive opportunity missed. It's it's a difficult one again, though, because you say, you know, could have gone all out for the for the win at Watford. Well, again, that would have probably meant playing four at the back, pushing high up the pitch, and two of those four are Seamus Coleman and Michael Keane, and we're in a situation where, you know, similar to earlier on this year, where, you, you know, Things didn't work out very well when that was the case. Whether or not Watford had the tools to to take advantage, um, you know, is is open to question. And Jao Pedro looked handy in that game. I know he didn't create any cast iron chances, but he might have done if he had more space to run into. But also, you know, did Everton have the the tools to take advantage themselves? Because in you know. However, he lined up against Watford. Everton did have a couple of chances. You know, Gray had a one-on-one put wide, should have scored. Richardson produced a good save out of Foster. But one of the 
one of the characteristics of that game against Watford was that Everton repeatedly got into good positions about 35 yards out, normally out wide, and they just completely failed to take advantage. You know, too often the wide players or the attacking players would carry on heading towards the corner flag rather than heading into the area. You know, they take an extra touch rather than shoot or, or cross early. And, you know, for all the kind of talk about whether or not Watford had the ability to punish Everton if they took more risks, you know, there was also an element on Thursday of thinking, you know what, Everton could have been playing for another 180 minutes and still not scored. Um, and if they'd have conceded one, if they'd have conceded one themselves, then, you know, obviously the momentum gets hit. It's one fewer point and... You know, and 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 Evans' predicaments even even worse. I mean, I, I, like I, I would have liked them to, to, to have been more adventurous against Watford, but I, I kind of understand why Lampard may have decided not to. I think he probably thought, let's not take a risk at the back, and we'll have enough quality going forward to to make the breakthrough. And it just didn't happen. And I think one of the frustrating things about Watford was after a good week or a good run of games, it highlighted just the limitations of this Evans side going forward and and their options defensively. Um, hopefully, hopefully Lampard gets a summer to sort that out ahead of a new Premier League season. But, you know, it, it, yeah, like I, 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 I've, 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 it's, a week, it's almost a week on, I still don't know what the right answer was over Watford. And I think that's, and I think that tells us a lot about what we need to know about where Everton are at the moment, as frustrating as it is. Right, lads, we will leave it there. I think we've chewed the fat enough today on, <laughs> on all things Everton and gone over everything. We, we've tried to put the, the Premier League world to right. Whether we've done so or not, only only the listeners will, 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 will agree or disagree with us. But before we do go, just a quick question. You know what's coming. Score predictions for Thursday night. Start with you, Joe. I'm, I'm going to let Gav go first because if well, the last few times you can't sit on the fence and let the no, no 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 the, the last few times he he said that he would have gone for what I actually said so I'm going to be fair to him and yeah okay. well I I've said that I, I can't see us winning on Thursday it's as simple as that I, I can't see us winning I just think it's going to be a frosty evening um, I think we're going to really feel the pressure on and off the pitch. I can't now thinking about when we played Crystal Palace in 2014. Maybe at the Champions League in our grasp when we got beat 3-2. Um, I don't want to repeat that, obviously, but I just don't, as Joe was just alluded to there, I don't think we've got the quality to, to win. I'm going to go I'm going to go one-all. My normal bottle job. Um, but I, 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 I'm going to go one-all. And a point could be as, you know... You know, be the same as a defeat, really. Um, so one off from me, but hopefully they can prove me wrong. Joe, uh, I, I, it will be a crazy night, whatever it is, whatever happens. Um, I don't think Everton will be able to keep a clean sheet against Palace. I am going to go for two two. Well, I want to end this podcast on an upbeat note. And I'm going to give my full back into the blue to get the job done. And we're going to win 2 1, but it will be near quite near <laughs> edge of the seat stuff as it always is. But yeah, I, I think we'll get the job done on Thursday. I think we'll get over the line. And I think we'll all be having a nice Sunday off next week. Boxing's a lot. Yeah. 
Yeah. Fingers well, crossed. Fingers crossed, yeah, yeah. But no, lads, thank you very much for joining me to talk all things Everton this afternoon. It will be back on Friday to discuss the Crystal Palace game. See where Everton are, <laughs> see where Everton are lying. No, in the, no, no. <laughs> see where Everton are lying in the relegation picture. And we will be there, obviously, looking ahead to Arsenal at the weekend as Everton bring the, the curtain down on what's been a quite frantic Premier League campaign. But from yourself, Joe and Gav, thanks for listening. You have been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.